0: here's the moment when I thought, whoa, Joe Biden is not doing so great right now. Today's many things is proof that despite the naysayers, we can make meaningful progress on dealing with gun violence. This is last week at the White House. The president's giving a speech celebrating the gun control legislation he'd just passed. Sit down, you'll hear what I have to say. And in the middle of it, someone in the audience gets up and begins heckling him. My Let him talk. Let him talk. This is the dad of a Parkland shooting victim. And he is pissed. He wants Biden to open up a gun control office inside the White House. And the thing that I found surprising about all this is that this was an invitation-only event. Everyone there had been screened. So for Joe Biden, it was a little like a horror movie. The call was coming from inside the house. The Washington Post's Perry Bacon, he's noticed a vibe shift, too. He clocks it a little differently. Says frustration really started bubbling over after the Supreme Court overturned Roe v. Wade.
1: These two-plus weeks since the Roe ruling, I'm just hearing a lot of people publicly behind the scenes saying there just is not a lot of fight There's not enough strength. The Republicans are running circles around us. Is he up to this?
0: Seeing this public fumbling, a colleague of mine here at Slate has coined a term for the Biden era, the two weeks late presidency. The White House is not flat-footed on every issue. Like the war in Ukraine, Biden is all over that. But something like abortion, not so much.
1: I'm sure Biden supports Roe v. Wade and did not want the Dobbs ruling. But I think there are a lot of issues, climate change, abortion rights, voting rights, where I would argue that the Democratic base is just more engaged and more angry and more flustered with where things are. And the president doesn't seem to have that.
0: You alluded to Biden's polling numbers. How bad are those, his approval ratings right now?
1: So there's an average done by 538, and they show his approval ratings at about 38% approval, about 56% disapproval.
0: So 38% approval. How does that compare to, I don't know, like Trump?
1: So Trump at this period was at about 42. Bill Clinton in this period was about 46. Barack Obama was in that same 46, 47 range. So this is off. This is off. And not only that, but you have to think about it, Donald Trump was on on some level not trying to be popular. He did divisive things. He tweeted divisive things every day. He governed really far on the right on most policy. Biden is unpopular, I would argue, while trying to be unifying, trying to be popular.
0: Today on the show, how Biden lost his mojo, and whether that's gonna have real consequences for the balance of power in Washington. Yep, that means no more waiting for, quote, normal business hours just to get a hold of someone. We are talking real service from real people whenever you need it. Get the customer service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. To Perry Bacon, Biden's troubles began way before the Supreme Court started overturning fundamental rights or inflation started driving everyone nuts. They began all the way back during the election, when the now president articulated exactly what he wanted to do in Washington. Perry says he made voters a kind of promise.
1: Essentially what the Biden promise from his campaign was, he never said this explicitly, but the idea is, you know, instead of having a Warren or a Sanders, someone who's more left-wing on policy or who's a great speaker like Mayor Pete is or more aspirational— you're like Barack Obama. The idea was that Joe Biden may not be the most exciting person for Democrats, but he'll unify more the country. He'll be more popular.
0: But you pointed out it's like by making that his end point, Joe Biden stitched his own straitjacket. Because then when things were tense, it was like, well, you didn't do what you said you'd do, which was so interesting. I hadn't thought about it that way before.
1: I mean, it's been striking now Barack Obama ran for president by saying, in part, I'm going to unify the country. The Republicans then spent his entire term making sure that promise did not happen by opposing everything he did from the moment he walked in. This was not something that happened while Joe Biden was living in Switzerland or something. (laughs) Joe Biden was the vice president then, so you would think he would have thought about this and, and sort of assessed this well. But he also essentially promised I will unify the country, I will get Republicans to work with me, they again have treated him the same way. I actually think this is sort of under-understood, and he can never quite say this, but I wonder if Joe Biden, in his heart of hearts, thought, I was in the Senate for a long time, I know Mitch McConnell really well, I'm white... And I suspect Biden thought he would get less hate among the Republican base, and that's also not the case. His numbers among Republican voters are terribly low, just like Obama's were, just like Hillary Clinton's were.
0: And there was another problem with being unifying. In the Biden White House, divisive issues ended up getting short shrift, and so did the people who cared about those issues. Even though the people who care about reproductive justice and climate change and voting rights— That is the Democratic Party's base. And not only that, they are the party's thought leaders.
1: Most people in their friend groups, there is one nerdy friend who follows all the news and reads Slate, The New York Times, The Post, and Vox. And they sort of tell everybody else what to think on some level. And I think... The Biden sort of theory of politics is I'm trying to appeal to the masses and the sort of activisty people are too left and they're too progressive and they're too activisty and therefore I don't need them that much. But I think in reality, most of the activist people do set the vibes, the tone. So when you promise to forgive student loans and then you don't, the young activists say – You know, we don't trust you. When you sort of watch all these voting rights abuses happen in red states and you really don't speak about it very much, that's going to mean the civil rights activists, the black activists are not thrilled with you. When you sort of keep a lot of Trump's immigration policies in place or you don't seem opposed to them, immigration activists are going to be mad at you. So if you look at issue after issue, you can see Biden sort of push away the base Say he's appealing to the regular folks in Wisconsin, I guess is what he would say. But I think that kind of strategy can be toxic. It means that you're constantly kind of pushing away your friends.
0: Well, and also you just know that the Republicans always dance with the ones who brought them. You know, they are not afraid to do that. And so the juxtaposition is striking.
1: It's not that Mitch McConnell always says the most right wing thing possible, but you rarely hear his staff trash the activists because their view is the activists sort of move the country to the right and it helps them govern. Biden's view is almost like the activists make, make his job harder. And that's annoying to him. The progressive base of the Democratic party is about 30% of the party, something like that. It's about 15% of the country. That is, that is both not enough people to win a Democratic primary, but more than enough people to ensure the Democrats never win an election again. A Democratic president who young people and progressives don't like is not gonna be very successful. And at some point, they have to think about just telling the base constantly, stand over there. We are focused on the, the white guy in Wisconsin. You need to do both those things and they should not be sort of viewed as contradictory.
0: After the break, why Perry says this problematic approach is actually bigger than Biden.
1: This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale
0: system you can trust or is it a real POS? You need Shopify for retail, from accepting payments to managing inventory Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com system.
1: This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Hey, listeners, whether you love true crime or comedies, celebrity interviews, news, or even motivational speakers, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue, right? And guess what? Quote today at progressive.com to try the name your price tool for yourself and join over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law.
0: Perry Bacon says frustration with Joe Biden. It actually goes way beyond Joe Biden. Watching the president's response to the overturn of Roe v. Wade, what Perry saw it wasn't one man's failure. Instead, he wrote this piece arguing it was a culmination of failures from the entire Democratic establishment.
1: I guess the thesis of the piece was the Democratic Party should reconsider and pick new leaders. And the people I included were President Biden, Speaker Pelosi, Steny Hoyer, and Jim Clyburn, who are the number two and three in the House. And then Chuck Schumer, the Senate Democratic leader and Dick Durbin, the number two Democrat in the Senate. So,
0: wow, that's a <laughs> that's quite the house cleaning.
1: So, yeah, exactly. so I but I basically mentioned these six people have been in central jobs in the Democratic Party since 2003. And when I looked for the equivalent on the Republican side, only Mitch McConnell was in one of those big roles in 2003. And the other five Republicans are all gone. And so, in other words, there's been a big shift in terms of leadership on the GOP side, and the Democrats have a lot of the same people in charge.
0: Well, some would argue that that's made the GOP more radical.
1: Well, that might be true, but I'm not sure that if the Democratic Party had, like, Cory Booker in a bigger role instead of Chuck Schumer, it would be more radical. So I just, I don't want to, like, I think the parties are different. What I would say is, though, there just aren't a lot of people— in any industry in America who are in charge for 20 years if they have a 500 record. 20 years in power would be justified if they they were constantly succeeding electorally or on policy. And a lot of issues in terms of policy, we are going backwards, like the number of people in unions going backwards, the, the wealth inequality getting bigger, Roe v. Wade being overturned, the Voting Rights Act being shriveled to nothing, gun rights expanding in the way the Republicans want. And so I'm trying to avoid saying you know, Roe v. Wade was overturned because Joe Biden and Nancy Pelosi are not good at their jobs. That's not quite right. It's more just when I look at these last, well, I've been covering politics for the, basically this, this whole 20-year period. In fact, I started around 2002 covering national politics. It's just hard for me to look at Joe Biden, Nancy Pelosi, Jim Clyburn, Chuck Schumer and say they are as effective, as cunning, as ruthless, as aggressive, as win at all costs as Mitch McConnell is.
0: I mean, you also make this other point, which is Democratic leaders are doing this funny thing where they're investing in defeating younger progressive candidates who they see as a threat to the status quo as opposed to aiming their fire at Republicans, which seems like not a great strategy.
1: So what well, you see in cases where Democratic leaders and the and the party infrastructure has gotten involved in primaries in heavily Democratic areas, where whoever wins the primary will win. And what they always do is they get involved with the person who's more establishment and oppose the person who's more of an AOC-ish Democrat. In public, what they say is, we just support incumbents. So sometimes it's an incumbent, and I get that. And, but basically their argument is like, the AOC wing of the Democratic Party is pushing the party overall to the left, and that's hurting them with swing voters. I think that evidence is weak for that. I also am not sure that, you know, Cory Bush is a congressman in Missouri. She's not supposed to represent, you know, Wisconsin. She's supposed to represent her district. What really is underlying this is there is real division on issues, on policy, on sort of identity, on sort of just a sense of who should be in charge between the sort of AOC, Warren, Sanders, Democrats and the more Pelosi, Clyburnish part of the party. But I've been very dismayed to watch as the Republicans are basically passing crazy laws in state after state and the Democrats can't pass any bills, why are the Democratic leaders fighting over primaries in heavily Democratic areas? The Democrat will win either way. Their investment in this intramural fight feels like an investment in their own power and their own standing. And- well, it was
0: an interesting observation to me because I think a lot of the time when you hear about these this infighting among the Democrats, it gets pushed onto the progressives like that somehow the AOCs of the world are instigating it. But what you're pointing out is like by spending all this money, (laughs) actually, it's the people in power who are kind of bringing the fight, the very real fight with the cash.
1: I think both sides are instigating the fight in different ways. But I would argue the Democratic leaders should be the people most focused on fighting the Republicans and the least focused on fighting it's just not a great dynamic that you often end up with. It's like these older Democratic leaders are sort of mad at the younger people. And again, you want your activist fighting for you. And when you seem so hostile to AOC or to Cory Bush or to Ayanna Presley or that wing of the party, you're basically saying you young people need to sit at home and wait your turn.
0: This sniping over election spending, it actually brings us right back to President Biden. Because the whole reason some Democrats have started panicking over Biden's approval ratings is that a lot of them are worried that having an unpopular president is going to seal the party's fate for the midterms come November. The success of the party in power is often tied to its leader. And congressional candidates, they're a little shook.
1: When Biden goes to states, you're seeing the candidate not appear with him. And if Biden were super popular, candidates would be running to be near him. I think you're going to see that a lot in in this next few months where in swing states, in conservative states, in places where Biden is not popular, which is basically everywhere right now, that the candidates will try to avoid being near him if his numbers are this bad for a while. But if you look at some of the individual races, like in Pennsylvania for governor or for Senate, the Democratic candidate is leading. So I actually think... That Biden and the Democratic Party are a little bit separated in my in the senses. I think there are a lot of voters, uh, younger voters, particularly voters in the thirty five, particularly who are dissatisfied with Biden but won't vote for a Republican candidate either.
0: But it feels a little bit like a scary experiment. I think if you're a Democrat, like it's like it doesn't feel safe to say something like that. It just feels like, huh? We're going to see how this is going to work out.
1: It'd be unusual if the party way overperformed the president. So that almost never happens. That's why Democrats are so worried and there's so much complaining about Biden. The sense is that he might be dragging the party down electorally. And I think that's a real that's a, a lot of what you're saying is if Biden was in the 60s, I think his reaction to the overturning of Roe would be assessed differently by people in the party.
0: In the aftermath of the Supreme Court's terrible, extreme, and I think so totally wrong headed decision to overturn Roe v. Wade. When you saw that speech he gave about Roe and the executive order that he put in place. The only way to fulfill and restore that right for women in this country is by voting, by exercising the power at the ballot box. Let me explain. He basically was begging people to vote and making the case like, I'm sorry, I can't do that much. For God's sake, there's an election in November. Vote, 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 vote. Did it kind of drive you nuts?
1: Yeah, I mean, I just think for most people in America, you don't live in a place where your vote is the difference or a difference. You live in a place where one side easily wins a lot of the problems are structural. We need the Electoral College, the Supreme Court, the power of the Senate, the power of big donors. A lot of the problems in our political system are very big and structural. I agree that Joe Biden can't fix them with a magic wand easily, but which Democratic candidate in 2020 during the primary was most dismissive of any structural reform? You cannot simultaneously say, vote, 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 and say the system is broken, but also oppose all changes to it.
0: Perry Bacon, I'm super grateful for your writing and for you coming on the show. Thanks for doing it.
1: This was great. Thank you.
0: Perry Bacon Jr. is a columnist covering the Biden administration for The Washington Post. All right, that's the show. What Next is produced by Elena Schwartz, Mary Wilson, Carmel Shad, and Madeline Ducharme. We are getting a ton of support right now from Anna Rubinova and Jared Downing and Anna Phillips. We are led by Alicia Montgomery and Joanne Levine. And I'm Mary Harris. I'm going to be back in this feed bright and early tomorrow morning. Catch you then.
1: Purchase necessary. BTW group. Void where prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.